sei con me nessuno è riuscito mai Okay, welcome back to Mon Men. I am Yanato Blue here once again with Michael Darling. And you know what, Blue? I'm actually sad that this is a two man booth right now. Yeah, I am too. Unfortunately, and this is going to lead smoothly into my apology to the listeners, uh, this episode's coming up a couple days late due to some uh, personal health issues I had. Blue is dead. Sorry, he fainted, but we used a revive. Yeah, I got taken to the Pokemon Health Center and got <laughs> promptly asked for my insurance card information because we live in america and we don't have free health care um, <laughs> but i'm back and we are here to go back to our roots as we started in the old dark ages of this podcast just michael darling and i tackling these pokemon today um, but before we dive into this week's pokemon we actually have to rewind thanks to some hard-hitting pokemon news Mr. Darling at our news desk, please take it away. So, there have been a couple new Pokemon revealed for Sword and Shield, and, of course, a couple new forms for existing Pokemon. Now, we're not going to f- talk about the new revelations in the Zigzagoon line, because, you know, that's for a few years down the line. But for now, we want to talk about the most important new Pokemon variant of 2019, Galarian Weezing. Weezing, as you recall, the classic version is a poison type, but this one is poison slash fairy, and Baloo, what does it look like? It looks like an absolute gentleman. <laughs> it just, if wheezing is a cannonball disaster, then <laughs> this is just cannonball aristocracy. Yeah, so it's your classic wheezing, except uh, wearing basically two giant top hats uh, designed to be like smokestacks. And with, I guess you could call it like smoke beards. Actually, I'd like to amend my earlier thing. It looks like very... Uh, inbred cannonball aristocracy which was a problem for the european aristocratic lines (laughs) oh yeah oh god you just got (laughs) me thinking about the Habsburgs, which is terrible (laughs) terrible looking people uh yeah on the mon men facebook and twitter pages which you should be following if you're not already uh we posted a photo of it when it was reviewed revealed uh, saying, good day, sir. I am Lord Archibald Wensleydale Smith, my Smith, the seventh, and this is my brother, Lord Arthur Thomas St. John Smith, my Smith. We're delighted <laughs> to meet you. So, yeah, it's a poison slash fairy type, which I think is a brand new combination, and I think makes it incredibly weak to steal, which is a downside. Uh, but the interesting thing is, in the lore, apparently, it takes toxic gas and purifies it into you know, good air. Which is very similar to the kind of mythos behind the other pollution Pokemon that we've encountered already, uh, Muck and Grimer, which consumes trash and garbage to kind of clean up the environment. So it's weird that these Pokemon that are themselves pollution help the environment rather than destroying it. Well, I mean, the original Weezing is, you know, smog, but this Mm. one uh, apparently takes the smog and turns it into fresh air. Mm. So, yeah. You know what I think would be a nice breath of fresh air now that I'm back on my feet, Mr. Darling? I have a guess. A game of Mon Mom. Well, uh, you know what, Blue? Mm. I say double or nothing, Mon Mom. Double Since or nothing. There's no one here. I'm throwing out a challenge to myself, which is that if I get this wrong, the co host, that does not exist, the, co- <laughs> the ghost co host, gets the point for the guest team. Uh, if I get it right, though, I will get my normal point. What do you say? 
I like it. So just to revise, the scoreboard is 10 to 6. And let me give uh, the listeners a little preview for our plan for the ongoing game of Mon Mom is that we're going to do this kind of like tennis sets, where after each generation of Pokemon, we're going to declare a winner of the set match um, and then reset the, the scoreboard. Season. Yeah, think, the season. Yeah. We're going to reset the scoreboard to 0 to 0. Um, so right now, Mr. Darling does have a relatively commanding lead of 10 to 6 over the guest to host chair. Um, but this could keep it competitive getting down to the uh, finish line. So, Mr. Darling? See, if I get this right, I'd lock down a tie at least, right? Yeah, I think that this is uh, that this could decide, and if you double up over this week and next week, after this little bit of a bumpy run you've had these past few weeks, this could, uh, this could clinch your playoff berth. <laughs> All right, so, Mr. Darling, are you ready? I think I am. But, yeah, Bonesaw is ready. All right, so to remind listeners before we dive in, this week we are going through a lot of single evolution, guys. Uh, we've got Mr. Mime, Scyther, Jinx. Ugh. We have Electabuzz, and we also have Magmar. Well, here we go. This Pokemon reminds me of Rumpelstiltskin. I will name it So Ashuk. I know usually the names mean nothing, but Ashuk? So... My mother, Mon Mom, said that uh, it reminded her of a legendary emperor, and I forget from where, but I'll include the history and the mythos in the show notes. She's getting very deep into, like, some zoology and just historical stuff. But, yeah, so she said it reminded her of a painting of a mythological king that she once saw. In addition to Rumpelstiltskin. In addition to Rumpelstiltskin. Uh, I feel like this is too obvious an answer, but I'm going to go with Mr. Mime. There's the lead. Mr. Yes. Darling gets it. So the scoreboard is now 11 to 6, and that Ooh. leads us into our first Pokemon of the day, not Ashuk, Mr. Mime. Guaranteed uh, at least a share of the title. So, Mr. Darling, if you could tell us a little bit about this Pokemon that we haven't covered already. Uh, okay, Mr. Mime is a psychic... Okay, first of all, most of these Pokemon this week I love. One is garbage. And then there's Mr. Mime, which is just disturbing. Uh, so Mr. Mime is a psychic slash fairy type, uh, originally just psychic until Gen 6 came along. And you first encountered it in a very interesting way in that you can only get an in-game trade in red and blue for an Abra, which means that since those fuckers run from you as soon as they can, you probably never got Mr. Mime in red and blue. Uh, in yellow, they at least made a Clefairy trade for mm. the Mr. Mime. Uh, Funny fact, the Mr. Mime is named Marcel, like Marcel Mousseau, the legendary mime, who has the only line in Mel Brooks' silent movie when he goes, no. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mr. Mime, we've already covered Mr. Mime on a past episode again, back to the dark ages of the podcast's early days. Uh, Mr. Darling and I recorded a bonus episode called Who's Your Poke Daddy? That episode, among other episodes, has aged incredibly well, uh, where we speculated that Mr. Mime in the show is Ash's biological father. That is show canon as far as the Mon Men are concerned. I like that theory still, but I'm going to jump ahead to some stuff I was planning on discussing later. Uh, It seems that that Mr. Mime may not actually be Ash's biological daddy. Maybe adopted, but... Mm. Uh, Here we have a rare instance of Mama Ketchum being a dumbass. Uh, So in one episode, Ash and company meet a Mr. Mime, called Mimey, of course, uh, that a circus was trying to capture and use for his Mime abilities. 
uh, Ash and Brock get the idea to disguise Ash as Mimey for some reason to trick the Ringmaster. And one link leads to another, and Delia Ketchum mistakes the real Mimey for her human son and takes him in and feeds him. At that point, Delia basically adopts Mimey and takes him on vacations and other adventures through the anime where we see Mimey wearing like Hawaiian shirts and such when they're in Alola. Oh my god, that uh, has such divorced dad energy. Yeah. <laughs> also of note, and this is very important, in this episode, Delia and Professor Oak go to the circus on what is definitely not a date. Oh yes, I remember that episode. They're holding hands in like the horse-drawn carriage, aren't they? Probably. I feel like, I know that definitely happens. I can't remember if it's that particular episode. So I am moving from being a mime truther to an oak believer. Oak is Ash's daddy. Hmm. You know, this. I agree with you that this Pokemon's definitely creepy, and this is definitely the creepiest, and I was very specific about this word choice in the notes, where I said creepiest, not scariest. It's hmm. the creepiest Pokemon. It's the most unsettling. Yeah. I mean, not just for the humanoid aspect, but because clowns. Yeah. Um, you know, I did some research into fear of clowns for this, and, you know, light internet digging. Uh, Stephen King. I love Stephen Quinn. Stephen King anecdotes. I love Stephen Quinn. <laughs> Another great person to love. Um, but Stephen King, apparently, just in his choice of making the clown Pennywise a clown, in terms of why did you make a scary monster a clown, of all things, clowns are just deeply unsettling to us. They are the original breach of that kind of uncanny valley between humanity and inhumanity that like we see on display, in my opinion, if I had to really kind of put a tab on it. Um, the makeup just changes the skin tone just off of a natural mm-hmm. human tint, even if it is like the proper coloration. It's still, you know, it's white colored skin, but it's an unnatural white. They have red lips, but they're an unnatural size and shape of red and shade of red. Um, but either way, Mr. Mime adopting all of these just makes him automatically the creepiest. And I shouldn't necessarily say him because unlike other Pokemon with the gendered prefix... Mr. Mime does come in both genders. Yeah, so this is one of those instances of early installment weirdness in that, like, Mr. Mime has always been a terrible name for a creature. Again, this is one of those things where it's, like, species versus, like, yeah, species versus individual character. Like, if it were Mr. Mime, the only one of its kind, okay, maybe. But if you have a whole species called Mr. Mime, then the anime is saying, Mr. Mime, Mr. Mime. Uh, Like, it's just terrible in terms of coming up with a name for it and so now we have this chicken so when they introduced breeding and genders in gen 2 suddenly you would have female mr mimes which i just don't get it so this raises the interesting question of like the chicken and the egg thing with pokemon which is pokemon may not actually be saying their names we may just be naming pokemon based on what we think we hear them saying yeah but i do want to uh you know we had previous guest host um, Alex Cresswick on who questioned kind of the line between sentience that these Pokemon have. And Mr. Mime is definitely another, that's another creep factor for Mr. Mime is that here is a super humanoid creature that like, if you didn't know any better and you ran into this creature at like, say a carnival, you might think it was a human being. A that really was just really committed to formed human being though. Cause it's got spindly little legs. I mean, some like... people skip leg day. This guy didn't just skip leg day. He <laughs> went and got his legs removed. Like, hey, could I have all the muscles taken out of my legs, please? Except for a few literal balls that are going to serve as knees. Yeah. So, darling, I want to... 
touch on a bit of your expertise here in this conversation about creep factor and things like that. You are a master of collecting and researching weird news. And back in 2016, we had a spate one summer of uh, of clown appearances, creepy clown appearances. What do you know about this? Well, that's a great question because everyone talks about 2016 in terms of the clown sightings, but over the years before, there always seemed to be like a weird report every so often of like creepy clowns sighted somewhere. Like there was one in a small English town in 2014, I think, 2015, I believe. I'll, I'm probably getting the dates all wrong, but this is all pre-2016. 2015, there was a delightful instance where some couple was driving by a cemetery in uh, Chicago and saw a clown standing there outside the gates, waved and like the clown waved and then hopped the gates into the darkness, mm-hmm. which that's not normal. No, that's not good. There's nothing wholesome there. Uh, and then 2016, suddenly it just went nuts in that there were all of these creepy clowns. It was sightings. almost weekly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it probably started as just like some normal weird clown sightings like you get in any other year. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was a thing that there were enough there were enough on the one hand uh copycat clowns, so mm-hmm. to speak. And then, you know, cuz the internet gets a hold of it and suddenly enough weirdos out there are like I'm also going to be a creepy clown. Uh and then also a little bit of mass panic, like there were clown reports of like clowns in the woods coming out of the woods, emerging behind houses and everything, which was never actually proven. Mm-hmm. But I think there was just enough creepy clowns in the news that people started making up clown sightings in their heads. Yeah, because let's worry about clowns appearing and, you know, not guns or something like that. I mean, um, it's 2016 and there's a Trump joke to be made somewhere. Yep. But speaking of clowns appearing from the woods, I'm going to direct listeners, and this will be in the show notes, one of my favorite Patton Oswalt bits that is just purely just him telling a hilarious story off of his most recent comedy album, um, at, as of time of the recording anyway, is about going to a birthday party with his daughter with for one of her friends and this the most depressing clown, the worst birthday party clown ever. Um, I will link to it in the show notes. I'm not going to spoil it or try to do it, but just trust me on this. Give it a listen um, after you've listened to our episode. <laughs> well, there's a... So we all know the Pagliacci joke where it's, like, clown goes, well, man goes to doctor, I've already spoiled it, man goes to doctor, says, doctor, I have depression, doctor says, oh, you're in luck, world's greatest clown, Pagliacci, is in town, and man says, but doctor, I am Pagliacci. Uh, One of my favorite variants on that is, man goes to doctor, doctor, I'm depressed, doctor says, well, whatever you do, don't go see Pagliacci. He's a clown. He's in town. He's the world's worst clown. <laughs> just sucks. And so man starts sobbing. Doctor continues, just the worst fucking clown. <laughs> I am a fan of every single iteration, good iteration of a Pagliacci format joke. I, It's one of those things that always brings a smile to my face. And luckily, Michael Darling knows this and sends every one of them that he finds to me. Yep. Delight me to no end. <laughs> So moving back to Mr. Mime uh, and it being creepy, let's talk about Detective Pikachu, where mm-hmm. it was perfectly weird and creepy. Like, I love the use of Mr. Mime in that. You know, I'm going to... A we, weird thing mm-hmm. is the retroactive addition of the fairy typing. Because, I mean, obviously, fairy wasn't a type until Gen 4, if I'm remembering correctly. And then uh, they, No, Gen 6. Gen 6. So they add And they added a fairy type onto this. And I think, weirdly enough, just that subtle addition to the subtyping, or like not even the subtyping, the dual typing of it 
pushed it out of the creep factor because if it's just a psychic clown, it's God, terrifying. Yeah. But suddenly when it's a fairy clown, like it's a little bit, it moves a little bit more comfortably into yeah. like the whimsy side of things where, and that's why I think it occupied Detective Pikachu so well <laughs> to speak to that. Like it had just the right amount of like goofy whimsy of being like, oh, I'm a fairy clown that has the psychic ability to mm-hmm. make a wall, an invisible wall that actually you run into yeah God, yeah that was probably the best scene in that movie uh, as we discussed on the detective pikachu episode uh but as i think i mentioned then i just want to share this quote again which is that the pokemon company really doesn't know what mr mime is according to detective pikachu screenwriter benji samet the pokemon company said are you sure that people really want to see live action mr mime uh detective pikachu art director ravi bansai said that when they asked the when the Pokemon company, what Mr. Mime was, the response was literally, we don't know. So this is a Pokemon that is so out there and weird that even its creators do not understand it. Yeah, I mean, this is another one of those questions where if we hadn't had the benefit of Detective Pikachu coming out before this podcast, I would have definitely posed the question that I have numerous times already, which is, what texture do we think this thing has in terms of skin? Mm. I honestly spent most of my life thinking it was more of a carapace type of like harder exoskeleton type of shell Um, for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, I always thought just flesh. And so it's like flesh and rubber and hair horns. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's jump ahead to one of my favorite Pokemon, which is Scyther. Yeah. This is also a creeping Pokemon, but I love this one. Oh, yeah, this is good creeping. Yeah, this is perfect. So, Scyther is a bug-slash-flying type that you first encounter in the Safari Zone, but only in red version. So, Baloo, you unfortunately did not have access to Scyther. No, I did not, and I was very bummed about that. Because it's just such a great design. I mean, I think in terms of, like, we've come across a number of bugs already, obviously, um... And, you know, some of them have been cute and cuddly. Some of them have been... Beedrill, I thought, was, like, a really good threatening bug, obviously. Well, especially if you see the original beta design for Beedrill, it looked very doofy. Whereas the Beedrill we know and love is perfectly, like, streamlined in its bee weirdness. Yeah, and I just think they took... I mean, this is clearly taking inspiration from a praying mantis. um, And it took it in such a cool direction. In terms of just let's make it that much more extreme. Let's take an aspect of the praying mantis that we know, which is like, you know, the saw-like pincer arms, <laughs> and let's take that to the next logical step, and then let's take it to the next illogical step beyond that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm just imagining the design meeting for this one. Just like, hey, man, how about we put some size on an incredibly angry mantis? Yeah, man, sounds good. Yeah. And, and then they went to lunch. And then they put four huge wings on it and didn't allow it to learn fly. <laughs> Although, like... That's the thing. They're huge because this is... How tall is this one? It's five feet tall, which yeah. makes it definitely punchable. Um, oh, yeah. But if you want to try to get within like, range of it to punch it, I don't it, think please. the wings are that big, though. Yeah, so it's one of those things where you have, like, wingspan to relative height. So, I mean, the largest bird ever in history, um, which we talked about in the Birdie with the Good Hair episode again, callbacks to the dark ages of this podcast wow. today. Um, you this know, we're, talk- we're talking about a bird that had a 20-foot wingspan compared to being six feet tall. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're comparing that, like, Scyther's wings are not nearly big enough to be able to support a five-foot-tall creature. Hmm. 
But what I will say is that it's still badass. Yeah. You know, even if it's using those wings kind of like an ostrich does, like maybe it's the <laughs> bug version of an ostrich. It's using those wings for like a little bit of propulsion, a little bit of like when it leaps at you to cut you apart as prey, you know, those wings are coming in hand to give a little boost to speed. Yeah. Well, when it evolves into scissor, which we'll get to soon, like its wings get much smaller and thinner and it loses the flying typing. It mm. becomes bug and steel. So uh, it kind of makes sense that they never taught it fly. Or never let it learn fly. Although, for Gen 1, not so much. Just, yeah. yeah. And while but we're talking about, with the with the mention of praying mantises, I want to shout out my original hometown, New York. <laughs> uh, there is a there is an amazing story in the rag of a newspaper known as the New York Post. <laughs> about <laughs> I mean, all the New York papers picked it up, but still. <clears throat> so let's shout out the New York Daily News. Because <laughs> they generally have the better headlines anyway. Um, for having a story about a foot tall praying mantis that somehow got on a six train that goes up the east side um and just everybody on the train just being terrified of this thing well wasn't it a city councilman who tweeted out a photo of it yeah because people on the train started tweeting at the city councilman why it was happening that was the other great part of the story when i read that i actually got filled with faith for a better tomorrow because i'm like look at these engaged citizens who aren't just tweeting out for likes they're tweeting at their city councilman they're not tweeting that they're not just tweeting at bill de blasio they they're engaged they know their local government they know the gears that turn power of the government and they're on it i loved it i've never been so proud to be a new yorker i like the idea of the city councilman coming down to take care of this mantis which is on the train yeah, people in LA encountering that on the metro, they just come up with a clever hashtag. They wouldn't tweet it at a city council member. They wouldn't know who the city council member is. Hey, we respect that Mantis is trying to commute. So, <laughs> while we're on the subject, though, I will say this: for being like one of the quote-unquote greatest cities on earth, the local newspapers in New York are just hilariously just committed to having the punniest headlines mm. ever. It's like something out of like a cheap C movie or like a D movie. I was going to say The Simpsons, but... Yeah. I Actually, that's 100% true. Mm-hmm. Um, like when you're watching like a terrible movie and like, you know, you see the spinning newspaper with like the really <laughs> blunt, like exposition heavy headline. That's the New York Daily News. That is not a movie trick. The New York Daily News is just the worst about that. Well, I mean, the Post and the Daily News are both tabloids, basically. So oh, yeah. That's why they have more of the goofy headline thing. Like... You see that all the time in the terrible English tabloids as well. Oh, yeah. Shout out to another stand-up comics bit that I really love. John Mulaney just absolutely roasts the uh, the Daily News perfectly in one of his oh, bits. Yes, There'll be yes. a link to that in the show notes. But while you're at it, follow the New York Daily News on Twitter. Not for any kind of news content, just to see their covers every day. Because they always have the <laughs> best slash worst covers imaginable. Um but let's talk about, well, I mentioned classic movie-making techniques just a second ago. Scyther did appear on a prominent episode early in the Pokemon series that makes, uh, which one of the, Cl- I always mix up the Clint Eastwood movies, the Man with No Name movies. Is it Fistful of Dollars where he does the whole pitting the two families against each other? It's the one that's well, based on Yojimbo. Yeah, I'm blanking on that now. Because um, there's, it's the Man with No Name. A fistful of dollars for a few dollars more? For a few dollars more, and then the good, the bad, and the ugly oh, is yeah, the final the, one. I don't know why. Huh. I think, I think it's, it's fistful of dollars. Yeah, because that seems like it would be the logical starting point for doing a Yojimbo. Yeah, but there's a great Pokemon episode that kind of uh, 
partly spoofs, but just takes on the uh, the Yojimbo thing. And then we learn this other little Yojimbo, fact. Yojimbo, for those of you not familiar, is a brilliant Akira, yeah, Akira Kurosawa movie uh, where Toshiro Mifune, who is Kurosawa's frequent collaborator, plays this you know wandering samurai who basically Batman's two rival gangs who control a town into destroying each other. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's a lot of fun. And makes himself richer in the process. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, and Mifune is to Kurosawa what Ken Watanabe is to Christopher Nolan. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Except Kurosawa did not yeah. have Nolan's issues with depictions of women. Well, how many, I mean, how many women were in Kurosawa films, really? They were actually fairly prominent, I feel like. I mean, they never well, had, yeah, like... I mean, like, in uh, Hidden Fortress, yeah, and in Throne of Blood, definitely. God, Seven Samurai, there were women all over that. Oh, true, but, I mean, I can't really think of... It's been well over a decade since I saw Seven Samurai mm. last, but... Yeah. Movie there night. are some important women in uh, Kiru, which is my favorite. Which there you go. Not a samurai film at all, uh, which, to the average listener, is probably a surprise. It's a beautiful, heartbreaking film about a civil servant who learns he has stomach cancer. Mm-hmm. I know. Doesn't that sound delightful? But no, it's a fantastic movie, and you will weep. Yeah, while we're on the subject of Kurosawa, I mean, brilliant, brilliant filmmaker, and I guarantee you that if you're not into classic cinema, trust me when I say that your favorite director of the current era has at least three of their favorite Kurosawa movies on a list that they are sure are influences on their I mean, I'd style. I'd say any favorite director from the 70s on. Yeah. Well, like, do you like Quentin Tarantino? Yep. Quentin Tarantino straight up steals from Kurosawa. I mean, the hidden fortress is Star Wars. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. And um, uh, Coppola and I think Spielberg helped produce one of Kurosawa's final movies. Yeah. And then another thing, another personal nerdy note about Kurosawa is that Kurosawa is also big into adapting Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. Into Japanese cinema, um, which, Throne of Blood, absolutely brilliant. But that does raise a question. Which, they were shooting live arrows at mm-hmm. the guy in that one at the end. Yeah, because Kurosawa had a Kubrickian maniacal dedication <laughs> to details. Like, I, I forget which film this was for, but he apparently had scenes shot in a hospital. And he demanded that every single drawer be filled with real tools, even though the drawers would never be open on camera. Wow. He just wanted the actors to know they were in a space that was actually staffed like a hospital. Hmm. Darling, quick question for you. So, I mean, Shakespeare adaptations in film are old hat. Yeah. But, you know. his favorite screenwriter. Speaking to, you know, things like Throne of Blood and stuff like that. Ten Things I Hate About You. And Ron, I think, is a masterpiece as well. Which uh, which Shakespeare at film adaptation do you think is uh, your favorite? Ooh, uh, are we talking literal adaptation, like a film version of a play, or uh, adaptation where it's an inspiration? It's, okay, where it's so like based, ten things I so, hate about yeah, you okay, versus so say Romeo and Juliet, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo okay, and Juliet. Okay, so based on the play by William give me, Shakespeare. Give me both. Give basically. me both. Okay. Ooh, um, man, I didn't know this would be a quiz today. Mm. Uh, like, my first one for, like, your classic adaptation of a Shakespeare play is Kenneth Branagh's Much Ado, Ooh. which is beautiful, set against the backdrop of basically, like, an Italian, uh, sh- I was going to say chateau, but that's French, uh, an Italian villa. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it's, it's Branagh and Emma Thompson as Benedict and Beatrice, uh, Kate Beckinsale as Hero, uh, Denzel Washington as uh, who's the prince in that one? 
Dawn. I haven't read much to do in years. Well, he's the prince. Uh, Keanu mm-hmm. is his half-brother, Don John, <laughs> the bastard. There you Michael go. Keaton. Michael Keaton is Dogberry, the complete idiot constable, and it's delightful with him on screen every moment. Uh, yeah, like, great cast, really beautiful production. Uh, the language just flows naturally out mm-hmm. of everyone's mouth, believe it or not. Denzel is a delight. So, yeah. That is a surprising bit of praise, the uh, language bit, especially considering Keanu, some of Keanu's criticisms in his early career. Because um, I remember he, people, the classic thing about, like, back when hating on Keanu was the style mm. of the day unclear as to when exactly like the tide turned in Keanu's favor but I remember like it was not popular for me to like Devil's Advocate for example hmm. because apparently he was the thing that ruined that movie <laughs> um, but he also Chino in full mode I mean Pacino had missed out on the Oscar I think two years before that for I want to say Scent of a Woman no he got the Oscar for oh, Scent he, of a Woman he'd gotten it, it so he was in his phoning it now, in phase yeah the, I mean that's when he started going hoo yeah. Uh yeah so yeah I mean, his speech at the end of that film is just... He absolutely has to chew the scene. When he clowns no... on a young Philip Seymour Hoffman? Uh, no, I'm talking about Devil's Advocate. Oh, I was talking about Like his, de- okay. his big yeah. devil, like, oh, that makes more raison sense. d'etre. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but my favorite uh, Shakespeare adaptation... No, that oh, I'm wait, not... sorry. Oh, sorry. A note about Keanu was that uh, as a kid, or I guess a teen, he would actually recite Shakespeare to himself while he was in goal playing hockey. That is just so beautiful, and yeah. it makes me love him more than I already did. He is a pure soul. Yeah. And I, if he um, does anything wrong, we're all fucked. <laughs> I, um, so my recommendation is actually going to be, and I was thinking about this guy, this actor recently for whatever reason, um, and the I brought up the weird trivia that he watched all of Breaking Bad in a single sitting over the course of one weekend. Anthony Hopkins did an adaptation of King Lear for Amazon recently. Really? I haven't and seen it's, that one. It's astonishing. Huh. Um, really good. The actor who played Moriarty in the BBC oh, Sherlock is yeah, in it too. He plays the hot priest on Free Hunt Fleabag. Yeah, yep. he plays uh, he plays Edward in it, and it's uh, yeah, it's really good. Ooh, two uh, more that are like semi straight adaptations. Uh, Richard the Third with Ian McKellen set against a Third Reich kind of background, mm-hmm. uh, which he's great because he's Sir Ian. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, switching it to a fascist era with all the 1930s clothing works really well for King, uh, for Richard III. Uh, and Julie Taymor's Titus with Anthony Hopkins is just a grand, showy production. And it just embraces how over the top that play is. Because mm-hmm. he's Titus. There's uh, Alan Cumming is playing the terrible prince uh, or duke or. Is Titus Andronicus the one where he cooks the uh, Yes, where family? he cooks the Queen of the Amazon's children. That inspired a great South Park episode, for those of you that don't <laughs> know, the uh, Scott Tennerman episode, um, in which I, which I brought up again recently because I was talking about Radiohead with yeah. a friend of mine. We were talking about uh, covers, we re- covers of songs we really like, and I found a... Uh, choir vocal cover of Creep. Oh, yeah, Scala from the Lansky Brothers. Yeah, of course you know it. Well, yeah, because it was in the... <laughs> the Social Network in, trailer. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, Michael Darling, before the before Shazam was a thing, Michael Darling was my human Shazam. <laughs> That's how we became friends, was back in 2006. If I didn't know the song that had been used in a movie trailer, I would hunt Michael Darling down on our college campus. And then hum a few bars at him until he helped me find the song. Or you would IM me because it was that long ago. And if I, <laughs> I would watch the trailer, and then if I did not already know the song, I would just Google song from trailer. 
Well, my favorite thing was that one time before I'd even seen the trailer for a given thing, I think it was the Batman Arkham City yes, trailer yeah. way back in the day, you IM'd me and said, because I know you're going to ask, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> here's the song from the Batman Arkham yeah, City trailer. Yes. And my response was, there's a Batman Arkham City trailer out. <laughs> yes, I'm glad to have this song. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some there's some personal backstory for you but i think that's a good indication that we're done talking about scyther yeah. so we may be delaying the inevitable here we've got to get to the well, let's uh, delay it's just a little longer can you think of a favorite shakespeare adaptation i.e not straight uh film of the play so like um, story by william shakespeare so story by william shakespeare um I'm going to go with 10 Things I Hate About You, actually. That's a great one. I'm just going to go Lion King, because that's Hamlet. You know, I just think... Uh, no, I, yeah, That's a good one. That's a really yeah. good pull. Um, I, I just mean, think that... They even that, made a, like, a direct-to-video Timon and Pumbaa movie, which was like Lion King 1 and a half, which is basically Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a really good one. Yeah. I, oh, um, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. That's a, I mean, yeah. that's a film version of Tom Stoppard's play, but... You know, I fell off. I had been. I started trying to watch this series on the recommendation of a friend in time for the movie premiere. Um, yeah, I started trying to watch Deadwood leading up to the movie premiere. I obviously fell off and did not finish it in time for the movie premiere. But I actually had a theory, and the fir- after watching three episodes of that show, this is a weird. Imagine if you could have a story that stars all of the biggest names in Shakespeare. Like kind of like a real world Shakespeare house, Mm-mm. but set it in the Wild West. That's what I think Deadwood is. Huh. It's honestly like a Shakespeare nerd's like Wild West, like real world essentially. Like I'm just looking at, and then you even mix it up where like certain characters are in love with characters from other pantheon that they're not necessarily. Well, give me to. an example of what you're going for here, because I mean like. Obviously, there's the fact that they speak in a more elevated and old-time language than they actually did. Well, it's not just that, but each character, especially for the first few episodes, is they're so they're such paragons of certain ideals and certain not ideals, but certain character traits and Mm. characterisms that you know. It's I tried to do this like two months ago, so all the names have fled have fled from my mind at this point. But I don't know, listeners, that's a challenge to you. Give it a read if you're if you're a Shakespeare fan. Like, what's the worst thing? You watch more of one of the greatest TV shows of all time. <laughs> that watch Blue hasn't finished. Yeah, there you go. But I mean, that's what every that's why that's what everybody that recommends it to me says. Yeah. So, you know, watch it. Tell me what you think about that because you know I remember sitting there and telling my friend that I was watching it with like, yeah, I'm getting Falstaff vibes here. I'm getting definite King Lear vibes here. Mm-hmm. I'm getting, you know, these are. They're not, it's not necessarily plot driven. It's not that the King Lear character is literally dividing his kingdom amongst three daughters. It's that the King Lear character is an aging person who is losing the grip of his rule. Mm-hmm. Um, and how does King Lear respond to that when he doesn't have anybody to inherit his kingdom? So Al Swearingen, in my opinion, is, there you go. He's the 100% King Lear of the show. Um, he is a King Lear that does not have anyone to pass his kingdom on to, that does not have any... What if King Lear didn't have heirs that he could divide his kingdom among? What if he had to take it with him to the grave? That's how I think Lear would react, at least based on the first few episodes. Um, so it's a character study of like Shakespeare's characters being put into a different circumstance, different setting. Um, and that just 
you know, it made it very fascinating to me, but then the movie premiere came and went, and I had not finished the series, so I said, oh, well, now I've got a year <laughs> to well, finish it. all on HBO, so. There we go. Yeah. Um, so let's move on now <laughs> to... Uh, here we go. To the big one, here Mr. Darling. Jinx is a racism type. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the most woke Pokemon <laughs> podcast God damn it. on the internet. I promised you I was going to say it. <laughs> All right, its real type is Ice and Psychic. You first encounter it in another in-game trade, which is weird that I think all of these Pokemon this week are either version exclusive or only available in in-game trades. And this time you get you trade a Poliwhirl for it. Its name is Lola. L-O-L-A, Lola. Where do you want to start, Baloo? Um, Should we just run straight into it? Yeah, let's just run straight into it. Um, I'll start us off, which is the fact that we've already dealt with Pokemon controversy, and this is one of the rare Pokemon that, on Bulbapedia, has its own subsection for controversy. I can't imagine why. Um, so for those of you that haven't seen the Pokemon or may not be familiar with the sort of uh, artistic depiction and controversy yeah. that might ensue... Pause it. Uh, after I finish the sentence, obviously, uh, and Google Jinx, J-Y-N-X, and then you know, just react. Okay, so Jinx indubitably and objectively resembles racist caricatures of African Americans, especially from the late 19th to early 20th century. This was easily noted, and this isn't even something that is exclusive to just the Pokemon media. This has happened other times in Japanese media. Um, and Japanese anime. The most notable other example is Mr. Popo in the Dragon Ball Z series, but it does raise a lot of controversy. Now, some research that we did into this controversy, um, and since this is the callback episode of Mon Man, <laughs> Here we go again. Mm-hmm. Um, let me shout out friend of the pod and now two-time guest host, Kev Kozer. Uh, shout out to Kevin. Uh, um, he pointed out that in Japanese culture, there is a fashion trend called Genguro, which Jinx may be inspired by. Um, See, I've read about that, but I think what I also read in these same articles is that Genguro was only starting to get big late in the development cycle of Pokemon. Mm-hmm. So it seems unlikely that it would be directly inspired. Uh, Genguro being a trend where uh, like hip Japanese women dyed their hair blonde or some other ridiculous color. Uh, or rather more ridiculous color. Blonde is an inherently ridiculous color. But uh, then also kind of uber tan their skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's supposed to be a sort of outrageous look. Well, for lack of a better term, it's supposed to be an appropriation of California surfer style, as I understand it, which is like super tan, but like fair skin qualities mixed with a, high, with a heightened tan. But that aside... This conversation is very quickly going to transcend the Pokemon itself and go more broadly to the response and, in some cases, lack of response to this Pokemon because, obviously, there was a visceral reaction to this Pokemon's design. It looks like a mammy. It looks like a mammy. Um, and then on top of that, uh, there are people in the fan base, or there are people out there who defend the design as happens in these sorts of situations so there have been a number of different defenses for this obviously the gangudo defense which mr darling just pointed out the anachronistic fallacy of that um like it's possible but unlikely it's possible but unlikely but then there's also the idea that other people defending the pokemon's design have said well you know and this does fall in line with some other sources of design inspiration 
um, which is that people defending it have said that it is reminiscent of a uh, Norse goddess, Hel, who looks very, is described as having features similar to Jinx that are then put together to resemble Jinx. I think that but, quite holds water. There is one that I think makes a little more sense uh, where uh, there's another mythological explanation uh, that it's inspired by the Yama Uba, a female yokai with blonde hair and tattered clothes who can control ice and snow, which certainly makes sense for the typing uh, and also would explain why it's got a frostbitten black or purple skin thing going on. Like, that's the one explanation I could buy because it is rooted in Japanese mythology. Yeah. And that would all be well and good. And I think what we want, I think what I want to kind of break it down in terms of obviously, you can hear my tone. I'm a little bit more. This is something I take very seriously in terms of depiction and stuff like that. I'm a writer, I'm a writer, among other things. And I try to approach things with empathy and consideration for what my readers are picking up and taking away from a given thing that I produce. With regards to this particular Pokemon design, I think that the Pokemon company, and I'll say this very bluntly, you know, I'm willing to joke about Mr. Mime being creepy because I think that's fun in (laughs) a weird kind of way, in a weird kind of like quasi-masochistic way. But with regards to Jinx, I think it's it's honestly an irresponsibility and it's a failure on their part in the fact that for one simple reason, which is that they have never actually issued any kind of a statement with regards to this Pokemon's design. Mm. Whether that statement were them saying, hey, we didn't know, or that statement were, yes, this is inspired by a yokai, or anything. Just issue a statement and and come down and have some accountability and some ownership of the decision you made in designing this Pokemon. And that's my advice to any artist or creator. We all are limited human beings. We all are limited beings. And we're doing the best we can to depict things. We're doing the best we can to communicate a message, to represent things. We're not going to be perfect. Our representations are not going to be perfect. And if you receive criticism, if you see an outcry, do more than just do a palette swap Hmm. that changes the color of the Pokemon skin from jet black to purple. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, like, although they've never commented on it, they clearly know it's a problem. Because not only did they change the color to purple... But in re-releases and virtual console releases of every game to feature a black Jinx, they change the head to purple. Exactly. So, like, in the virtual console version of Pokemon Yellow, it features a recolored Jinx that would have been impossible on the original Game Boy Color. Because I think, like, the sprites could only have four colors, and this one has five. Yeah. And so, so that's my big statement on the Jinx design. And we can go into the Pokemon itself from here. I mean, darling, I'm sure I'll let you make a closing statement on it. But Mm. my final statement is just, you know, for anything like this and in anything else like this, I don't expect people to be perfect. I mean, we kind of joked about celebrities that we don't want to see disgraced and things like that. I don't expect anybody to be perfect. I would definitely be disappointed if somebody like Keanu Reeves let me down and turned out not to be perfect. But at the same time, there is a way to be imperfect with grace and with empathy and to listen to what people are saying hey this makes us feel a certain way this makes us this calls to the four certain histories certain backgrounds things like that yeah. all it takes is an apology yeah. well i think part of it also though is that we're reflecting from 2019 mm-hmm. just in that when this pokemon was released in 96 and then i think they probably made the change just before gold and silver were released it seems <clears throat> at least in the american versions that 
it was an era where you know you could just do this change and not have to comment on it. Mm-hmm. Like I have to wonder what, because you know we've been living with a purple Jenks for almost twenty years now, mm-hmm. and like we still all know what the original looked like and how horrifying it is. Yeah. Uh, but I have to wonder how much more of a problem it would be to actively make a statement and comment on it now. Yeah. Rather than just being like, okay, we've put it away we have changed it we know that there was a thing we're not going to address it but it's clear that we have and acknowledged I mean, it by changing and i mean they have everything to lose because yeah. disney with their response to all the controversy that persists about song of the south yeah. has clearly lost big in this modern landscape yeah and they've never released song of the south to the public <laughs> other than point. the initial film release so yeah so let's dig into the game a little bit. Let's dig oh, into well, the end game. One last thing about the racism, mm-hmm. uh, since I hope that <laughs> I never have to say on the show again. Uh, so There's something for the soundboard. <laughs> uh, so in the show, we see Jinx's work for Santa Claus. So we have black humanoids that work for Santa, just like Zwart Pete, the amazingly racist helper of Santa of St. Nicholas in Dutch Christmas tradition, who is traditionally depicted in blackface. Because in the mythology of St. Nicholas in the Netherlands, uh, St. Nicholas lives in Spain, and so that makes Zwart Piet a moor. Which, which I just want to take a quick diversion here into something a little more lighthearted, which is that you know, in the American Christmas tradition, I think probably the English and other cultures as well, Santa Claus or St. Nicholas or Father Christmas lives up at the North Pole, you know, somewhere remote and, you know, mystical, let's say, for the purpose of this argument. Whereas in the Netherlands, it's like, yeah, St. Nicholas, he lives in Spain. He's over there in Spain, <laughs> across the ocean. He's enjoying his tapas and his siestas. Yeah. St. Nicholas goes to Ibiza every year for the raves. <laughs> Like, Spain? Really? That's it? God, imagine Santa just rolling on Molly and oh. raving. <laughs> Dude, I'm sure it's happening at SantaCon. I mean, I feel like every time I've been to, like, even a quasi-rave situation, there is always that one shirtless fat dude who's just feeling himself a little bit too much <laughs> on Molly. But bless that man knowing how to live to his fullest. Um, yeah. And s- similarly, uh, about Pokemon having an episode where we meet Santa Claus. I love that it's part of that genre of TV show where Santa is real. Uh, I love the sitcom trope where Santa is real despite all the adults saying otherwise. And at the end, they find out, like, wait a minute. But I didn't get that gift from Michelle. Well, I didn't either. Maybe. And then we hear sleigh bells and, you know, title card says, Merry Christmas from Full House. I mean, that just always makes me believe in Santa Claus all over again. Um, Anyhow, so uh, moving back into the uh, unfortunateness. So Santa Claus uses slave labor in the Pokemon world, apparently. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. he uses slave labor in this world, too. The elves are unionized. I don't know if they get paid, except in, like, leftover cookies. <laughs> Which, for them, is currency. True. Like, candy canes, much like the bones of the skeletons, are their money. Oh, gosh, yeah. you just reminded me that uh, the next season of Disenchantment comes out next month. Um oh, yeah. Which, I don't know if you watched it, but I thought it was a weird departure. I think people were surprised at how it felt compared to Futurama and The Simpsons. But my ultimate thought on that is that I don't think people expected it to have a continuity that it did. Mm. Because with every other Matt Groening 
and I may be pronouncing his name wrong. Greining. Greining. Um, Greining. With every other Matt Greining like series, Futurama didn't have an overall saga that mattered until say the last like three seasons, uh, and well, even I then mean, it was mostly of... callbacks. It yeah, wasn't well, a it was saga kind of built in because Futurama spoilers. If you watch the pilot, first episode, yeah, there is something hidden just before Fry falls into the uh, the cryo chamber. Guys, it's a ten year old series. Oh, more than that. Yeah, so we're just gonna spoil the hell out of it. There's Nibbler's a character. There. Nibbler's in the pilot. Nibbler's in the pilot, and you do not meet Nibbler until like the until midway through the first season, or find out that he's sentient until much later on yeah. either. Um. Yeah. There's there are a bunch of callbacks in yeah. well, Futurama. Like, there was it was a much lighter arc. So to speak. yeah, it like, was everything more... built upon previous knowledge, and there was a overall arc that developed. But it's not like Disenchanted, where it's clearly a you know narrative show. Yeah, and the fact that serialized um, show. That's I think one. it's I think with the announcement of the release of the second season, they revealed that the plan is for a three season arc. Interesting. Which, so, for Netflix, that makes sense, because apparently Netflix don't do nothing past three seasons now. Apparently not. I did not finish off the last season of Orange is the New Black. Were you ever into that? Yeah, I finished it. I, like I decided I should finish all of it. Like, it dipped in quality, but there's some still... I love the characters too much, I guess you could say. Yeah, I just couldn't stay attached in the maximum security prison transition. Mm-hmm. Like, once they got transferred out, I just kind of lost... It just be, I, I don't know. It's weird. No, I couldn't no, that keep track. Yeah, because I've gotten so used to caring about the characters, and this may be my unique thing. I cared about the characters in as much as they were interacting with one another. Huh. Um, so once that dynamic got thrown out of balance of, oh, I'm no longer seeing Red interacting with... You know, Red in and of yeah. herself is an interesting person. They had but... a lot more of that in the final season. They kind of uh, realized the mistake of the previous season of having characters so separated. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, considering it's Max, <laughs> doesn't make sense why these characters are interacting more, but whatever. It makes more... Uh, yeah. It feels better. I mean, and I would probably fire off more criticisms of the show, but the show is so powerful that I just thought of Pusey's death from, spoilers, uh, season four, and honestly got shivers. So it's a powerful show. It's mm. capable of a lot, and well, I just... set up an actual... Uh, both... This is a thing that we see in the show, uh, in the final episode. A fund is created in Pusey's name mm-hmm. to uh, help provide like micro loans to prisoners, and uh, so that they're able to get off their feet when they get out mm-hmm. of prison. Uh, and then the last image of the show is an actual card showing that this actual fund has been created in reality, yeah. and you can donate to it to help people out there. Yeah, so tying back into real news from real world news from New York, um, you know, since we're on this kick that we're on today about New York news, um, Pusey in her, again, spoiler alert, death scene in season mm-hmm. four, you hear the actress very clearly saying, I can't breathe, which is a direct reference unapologetically to the death of Eric Garner, who was Murder. murdered. By a pol- New York police officer for selling Lucy's. For selling Lucy's single cigarettes, which, while illegal, quote unquote, is not an offense. Yeah, like this kind of put him in a chokehold and just didn't let go. Yeah, for selling um, Lucy's. If any of you have an issue with me taking an issue with that response of force, then I will respond to you with 
at least 10 pictures of white male active shooters who were taken in without any kind of violence. Um, fuck you if you disagree with me on this. The fucking Charleston shooter, I think it was, got a Burger King meal. Yeah. The reason why I want to bring this up is because today that police officer was fired. Five years later. Fired. Not facing any kind of legal repercussions, nothing like that. The man murdered an innocent man selling loose cigarettes on the side of the street. And... It took five years for him to face a consequence, which was losing his job. That's something that some people have faced for showing up late to work too many times. That's something that people have faced for, you know, having a bad day and being in a bad mood and being a little bit too snappy with a customer. This cop took a man's life. Yeah. And five years later, not only does he lose his work and I choke a guy out to the point where he dies. I'm not just going to get fired. Yeah. Does he owe any kind of reparations or any kind of compensation? No. He gets to clear out his pension fund, actually. He gets to walk oh, away sake. with the funds he do- he donated to his pension that he doesn't get to collect. That's a penalty. But he gets to take the money back. Um, you know what? Black lives matter. Black lives matter. And fuck the police. <laughs> so, that being said, let's get off this subject and let's go to Electabuzz. Well, I have one last note about Jenks, which is... Here's another soundbite for you, Baloo. Setting aside the racism, <laughs> this Pokemon is also terrible because the design is just such a mess. The dress is literally part of its body. It's not a Pokemon wearing its dr- a dress. It has no legs. It has tendrils that look like a dress, basically. It has that weird like breastplate, which I don't want to get into that at all. And finally, it has the fucking Rachel haircut from Friends. Oh, yeah, you actually reminded me of one other design note that I'm glad you circle me back to, which is, this is why this Pokemon actually takes my most hated of the day, like, aside from everything else we've discussed yeah. about it. Like, if it were just purple, I'd still hate it. Well, no, no, no. It's the fact that I found out in researching for this episode, Jinx does not have feet. That is not a yeah. skirt. It is actually a slug-type Pokemon. Like, yeah. basically, that thing that we think is a skirt that there might be feet under, nope. It's, it's a just, mess of a design. It is the worst. It is the Brita Perry of Pokemon. <laughs> it is the, yeah, it's just terrible. And that is, there's my NBC early 2000s <laughs> reference for the day. Thank it's, you very yeah. much. It's very telling that they gave Jinx, which for the record, all Jinxes are female, unlike Mr. Mime, uh, a pre-evolved form in Gen 2, Smoochum, which to paraphrase Jock Brell is cute in a stupid-ass way. Like Electabuzz and Magmar, the next two we're talking about. But then in Gen 4, when Electabuzz and Magmar got evolutions, Jinx did not do anything. Yeah, I... And, you know, the funny thing is, is that I would think Jinx would be another one of those Pokemon, kind of like Kadabra, that would be kind of phased out and kind of shuffled to the side a little bit because Mm -hmm. of the associate controversy. But I don't... I haven't seen anything that indicates that it has. Um, I don't know, like, how often it's appeared in the TCG or what have you. Or other spinoff material, but uh, considering the Sword and Shield games won't have the whole national Pokedex, maybe this might be where they get to quietly re- uh, retire Jinx. <laughs> I say that now and then watch as it's like available on Route 1. Alright, well... So, getting to the other side of the Clint Eastwood, Yojimbo-style feud that we referenced earlier with Scyther, Electabuzz was the other side of that episode's feud. Oh, okay, I was... 
Yeah. I wasn't don't sure where you're going with this. Don't worry, I had a, that one was a little bit of a longer runway. That was more to land a 747 than my usual abrupt right turn. Um, but I <laughs> want to point out. Wall. But I do want to point out like a weird bit of lore before you dive in, Mr. Darling, okay. which is that Scyther, Electabuzz, and Pikachu had in this one episode the weird bit of lore that apparently certain Pokemon are attracted to certain colors or enraged by certain colors, which yeah. is obviously a take on the classic thing about bulls being enraged by red. Hmm. which is why matadors wave red flags at them to... Although I think it's said that it's not so much the red as the waving itself. Yeah, it's the motion. Yeah. yeah. The red is just, you know, a great color to show to... aggression and all that. It's for the crowds, yeah. actually, to be able to notice the motion of the curtain and to appreciate the motion and artistry of what the matador mm. is doing um, in contrast to the brown of the dirt and the black of the bull. Yeah. Um, I like when the bull wins. Mm -hmm. Don't we all? (laughs) Um, So that being said, uh, Electabuzz, Scyther have this interesting lore about uh, being enraged by the color red, which is put to use in the episode in question. Um, But Electabuzz is one of those two feuding members. So it's interesting that we get to pair these two so nicely in this particular (laughs) episode of the podcast. But uh, Darling, tell us about the bio it's pure electric and you first encounter it at the kanto power plant and only in the red version yeah which was like in terms of weighing the red versus blue i remember oh i get this guy but not scyther that was the exchange i was disappointed by like specifically well in red you don't get electabuzz or scyther i misspoke in blue you don't get electabuzz or scyther because they're both red exclusive oh okay yeah you get magmar in yeah. blue and we'll get to him in a moment but yeah i loved me some magmar oh but we'll get good. to him Yes. But yeah, another punchable height Pokemon. Today's the day of punchable Pokemon, <laughs> at the very least. But Electabuzz, I want to punch less. I just think it's a really... I really love this design. I think it's God, just... It's great. Because we've talked a lot about Pokemon inspirations from the real world and stuff like that. I mean, Electabuzz has features of, but is not directly inspired by anything that we have in the real world. So, for example, the longer arms to the shorter body, very orangutan-like, but... That's just in terms of proportions. You know, it takes on a very, like, saber-toothed tiger-like mm. facial appearance. It has this kind of, like, furrier, like, it's sloth-like the, the body. It's like, whiskers. Yeah, there's so much about it that's just pulling from so many different things, but never feels like it's taking more than an idea from any one creature. Yeah. And I just think that's amazing. Yeah, like, after the previous episode being... Like, here's a bunch of water types that look like animals you know. It's nice to have a Pokemon that is an animal, but you can't just say, oh, that's an... Exactly. And I think the other thing about it is is that it's depicted as being a very aggressive Pokemon. It's always angry and just about, or at least, like, squaring up to throw hands in every single picture we <laughs> see it in. And the thing about it is is that all the creatures we've named, Lynx, Bobcat, Orangutan, none of those creatures have that energy. So they not only took all these inspirations, but they also took them, mixed them together, and gave that gave it a completely different energy and attitude. Yeah, and also like the weird long tail, which I can't really point to where that's from. Yeah, I mean, it would be so it would be really yeah, but yeah. like even if they had taken you know all these creatures, like let's say they'd taken a tiger and mixed it with a wolf, and then mixed it with a lion, and then <laughs> put those that hybrid creature together, and then made it really angry, I'd be like, well, duh. Those are all fierce <laughs> creatures. Instead, they took three animals and shifted the energy even. Yeah, the like, fact that it's a biped really adds to that. Because I don't think we've had 
too many bipedal Pokemon so far. Yeah. Like bipedal animal Pokemon. Yeah. So I guess if we have any any advice for like semi-original character design, it's maybe use that as like a template. Like semi-OC, do not semi-steal. Like add things together and then look at what the energy those three things is that they have in common. Like Mm. cat plus dog plus goldfish. What do they have in common? They're relatively tame. Well, let's make, let's find some way to make them feral. Yeah. And I think they do that really well. I do not, I don't want to be friends with this Pokemon, but I am damn glad this Pokemon exists. Mm. Like, I think it's a really, really cool design. And I think that the beer belly is a really nice touch. Again, that's the, that's part of the orangutan thing, but I don't know. It just looks. It's a charm point. Yeah. It just looks like the kind of thing that I am definitely, if I'm at a bar with an Electabuzz (laughs) and it says, what did you just say? I'm immediately throwing my both hands up and saying, I'm sorry. I didn't mean anything. <laughs> like it's I'm our not... Joe Pesci-mon now? Oh, yeah. It's our new Joe Pesci-mon, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, this week's shinies have been pretty bland, but Electabuzz gets a really cool reddish-orange tint. I like it. Yeah. And there's some fun Pokedex stuff, like some fun lore stuff, uh, in that it's said that Electabuzz is when it's raining, or rather when it's uh, lightning storming. Uh, Electabuzz will try to just compete to climb on top of each other and climb on poles and everything to get hit by the lightning and power themselves up. Some towns use Electabuzzes as a lightning rod. And then this might be the funniest Pokedex entry of them all. After 20 years of Pokedex entries that blamed Electabuzzes for causing power outages, the Ultra Moon Pokedex entry came out swinging with an anti-capitalist fury, saying... While it's often blamed for power outages, the truth is the cause of outages is more often an error on the part of the electrical company. I mean, I just, I don't have a whole lot to add to this, except for the fact that I think this is, this is the standard by which I'm holding other Pokemon, actually. Hmm. Like, not in the kind of way, like, again, I don't, this isn't my favorite Pokemon, but just the thought, the approach to the design, the lore, the fact that they've evolved it and everything like that Hmm. in terms of, like, the depiction of baby, too. Yeah, I yeah. just think I think this is great. Oh yeah, like it's one I'm always happy to see. Yeah, because it's good weird, whereas Mr. Mime is creepy weird. Yeah, weird is okay. Yeah, I just don't like. I mean, I think we've come across like already like within twenty episodes of this podcast, we've come across that I don't like lazy, hmm. and I don't like careless. Yeah, this is actually like a surprisingly like thoughtful design that is original while being familiar. Yeah. Um. Like, you could buy this as an animal. Yeah. Yeah. Or see it walking around a town with an electrician, helping him, like, rebalance Tesla power coils or something <laughs> like that at the power plant. I don't know. I think you're getting ahead of yourself to Mon's World. Well, let's uh, let's get a little bit closer to Mon's World. I have said everything I need to say about Electabuzz oh, yeah. because I'm just, just... It's always the Pokemon that we yeah. love. We have so little to say. About. The only other thing I have to add is I think it's walking animation, which I've seen before, is delightful because it is kind of like, it's got weight to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely carrying its weight and like hmm. propelling it. So there's a little bit more of a waddle to it. Yeah. Um, you know what I'll actually say that it reminds me of, which is the fact that I am, in terms of through high school, I was a cross country runner. Um, and what I noted up until I got to college, I did not have, I did not my high school didn't have a swim team that's more of a west coast affectation 
so it wasn't until I got to college that I started hanging around with water polo players. Yeah. And really hanging around with swimmers. And because I'm an observer of the human behavior and condition, I realized people who spend a lot of time in swimming pools carry themselves very differently than people who, say, run a lot. Hmm. If you want to know how a water polo swimmer walks or how an Electabuzz walks, they walk just like a person who swims a lot. <laughs> There's like a lot more of like their shoulders are kind of pulling oh, yeah. their lower body weight around. It's, yeah, it's something I've noticed because they get that behavior from being in a pool where they're throwing their arms repeatedly huh. to propel themselves. Huh. And I think it's an unconscious thing where, oh, I'm moving forward. There must be some motion from, like, my upper back that is pulling my legs along. I feel like I like the buzzes walk around like Alf, except for look significantly less terrifying. And don't get caught saying racist things off screen. God, another that... callback to another episode. God, yeah, uh, I don't recall when we mentioned that. But, yes, there's a video you can find of uh, kind of, like, outtakes from Alf where the puppet here, as Alf, just starts dropping the N-word for no good reason. Not that there's ever a good reason, but it's like there was not even a setup for this other than just like, well, I feel like making Alf racist today, so let's have some fun with that. Yeah. Apologies to whichever co-host we are blanking on right now. I can't remember either, but I will link to your episode in the show notes. We're going to link to every episode in the show notes. I know. This is the, this is the catch-up episode. This is the callback episode. This is like the, this is the clip, this is the clip show. <laughs> Uh, All right, so, so darling, give me a clip on Magmar. <laughs> pure fire type Pokemon, and you encounter it in the Pokemon Mansion in only the blue version. So as I said, all our Pokemon this week have been either version exclusive or available through in-game trades. This you got to trade for these. This is definitely the Gotham Cats of all Pokemon. So I love this Pokemon because it's such a great, we another weird original yes. fusion of ideas and concepts. So we've got like a strong duck vibe from this dude but also it's got that tum tum yeah well i mean i'm talking about like different so let's start with the face the face is definitely like duck robin woodpecker like yeah like definite bird vibes um but also kind of like the old like you know the old timey fireplace thing that used to breathe air oh yeah i know that's the bellows yeah bellows there we go i knew you know the word for me um so it's definitely got like a hybrid bird bellows vibe hmm. which i think is just so like i love it it's a it's so original so weirdly particular to the fact that it's a fire type um and then like the big round body again you have another pokemon that looks like a heavy hitter a bruiser and magmar oh, yeah. is like a great pokemon and but at the same time still managing to look approachable and fun and like hey this is a pokemon that could do some damage but if I saw this in Detective Pikachu, I wouldn't necessarily feel immediately in danger. You know what I mean? If I mm. saw this walking around, you know. Well, the thing that gets me is it always looks like it's breathing heavily. Oh, yeah. It definitely looks like a mouth breather. It definitely looks like if it tried to... I mean, it's all mouth. Yeah, I mean, it definitely looks it like if it... has no nose. definitely looks like it tried to call you. You would hear it breathing before it said <laughs> hello. <laughs> mm. so, yeah. Let's talk about its head. Yep. Which is a flaming butt. It is, so this is like a weird, finer point of the design that I didn't notice until I started researching this Pokemon for the episode. It literally has a butt head. Yeah. Up above its eyes, its brow. And the funny thing is, I wonder if they didn't 
put that crease in there to try to make it look like it was like constantly angry and furrowing its brow. But because of the curves they added to it, it just literally looks like a butthead. Yeah, and it makes it look more chill than angry, I think. Yeah, like, it looks kind of yeah. stoned and like hmm. like it smoked like more of an indica strain. <laughs> and like it's ready to kind of like, all right, I'm just going to put on like, you know, some Bojack and just like pass out. <laughs> Yeah, Put the like, sleep timer on the TV and I'll be chill. <laughs> yeah, like it's got the fire coming off of its head. Uh, it's got the fire tail. It's got spikes for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much going on with this Pokemon. It's incredible. God, it, and then the other thing is, the, like, there's so many little charm points to this design I did not notice until I started researching for mm-hmm. this episode. So I'm gonna say the ruffled sleeves oh my god yes the so today on twitter somehow uh twitter recommended a moment to me about seinfeld versus friends which that's an easy fight listeners of this podcast know where i come down on this and where i therefore force this podcast to come down on it seinfeld over friends not even a competition i mean i've said multiple times on the show i think that friends is a ripoff of living single so yeah i call back again to the Alex Treswick episode. I think we even brought it up on that episode, too. You know, Friends, I'm not saying Friends is not a good show. It's a good show. It's not a great show. The hype you has know it is gone. a great show, though? Living Single. Living Single is a thoroughly underrated show, and I guarantee you, like, we're going to keep... I'm going... We're going to... I'm going to rewatch Living Single so this I can reference a, it just... Yeah, this is going to become a Living Single podcast yeah. when we're done with Pokemon. It's going to be talking about Khadijah James all day. One day you will look in your podcast feed and the title of this podcast will shift from Mon Men to Living Mon Men <laughs> to Living Mon Single Men to Mon Single Men and then to just Living Single Men. <laughs> what the? We're going to slowly and gradually turn this into a Living Single podcast and I'm going to do it so gradually that Darling thinks this has always been a Living Single podcast. Watch as I commit my co-host in a descent to madness, friends. I'd notice. I'm not Obi. I'd notice. Let's just touch on one bit of Pokemon lore because we haven't had a ridiculous Pokemon factoid in a very long time, Mr. Darling, and... So I'm looking at Magmar again. The claws on its feet. God, everything about this is great. And it's fabulous. Tens across the board. So I want Claim your. your well, so the reason why I brought up Seinfeld with the ruffled sleeves. Oh yeah. Is because the puffy shirt. is because a puffy shirt. I don't want to be a pirate. <laughs> Had to reference that, but <sighs> darling, if I were to tell you that Magmars get up to 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit, what would you say about that Bullshit. temperature? Bullshit. You know, here's the funny thing. This is one Pokemon factoid that isn't completely unrealistic. It's not like Arcanine level of unrealistic because that is about the lower end of the temperature that magma can be measured at. Like magma can be, lava and magma can be measured as being as hot as 3600 degrees Fahrenheit. 2200 degrees is actually on the lower end of that. So that's, I mean, it's crazy that there is a living creature that can be that hot. But as far as suspension a of disbelief, living creature for the record. Granted, but I mean, as far as suspension of disbelief goes, the fact that there is a creature that is that hot, we are going to meet a creature eventually. I know about the factoid for a another lava-related creature that we will meet down the line. Which one? Magmar. Its body is so hot that no, it... the one that we're going to meet down the line. Magmar. The one we're talking about right now. Magmar. Oh, sorry, I'm mixing it up. <laughs> anyway, um, you have to keep this in now. 
sorry, there is another, there's that other creature. I can't remember. It's the lava, to it's the lava snail. Oh, Slugma and Mag Cargo. There you go. Mag Cargo, apparently its body is so hot that if it were to actually exist in our atmosphere, it would actually ignite the oxygen in the atmosphere. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, fun factoid. That's another uh, power that the flame, that the Human Torch actually has in the Marvel Universe for if you want to breathe, if you want to broaden your horizons. But that's all I have to say on Magmar. If you want to bring us home, Mr. Darling. Oh, we've already said that Magmar is fabulous, but it's shiny is several shades of pink, which just kicks it up another level. I know. I love that we have a flaming pink Pokemon. Mm. And like I said, tens across the board, come claim your trophy. You are the favorite for this episode, I think, unanimously. <laughs> um, all right. So we've talked at length about the Pokemon as they exist in this universe. Um, let's talk about how we would change them, though. I caught myself. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, well, setting aside that we can't fix Jinx, uh, let's... Just change Mr. Mime's name to Mimey, and basically anything that doesn't make it sound like a title or a surname. Like, come on, Mr. Mime, who does that? All right, so you said we can't fix Jinx. I agree with that. However, my response and Mon Mod for the day is different. I want to give Jinx the Judy Winslow treatment, oh. and I say we fix her by deleting her. Full Chuck Cunningham syndrome here? Yep, let's just yeah. write her out. Let's just have her not appear in any of the DEXs in the future. Let's just silently and casually i so would take be like that. one of those photos of stalin with his uh associates and progressively every photo gets a little bit closer on stalin and features less people yeah i just want yeah i just want like to have the pokedex be my photo and my marty mcfly guitar and just slowly see jinx disappearing <laughs> um and then just have a history where there was never any Jinx in the past. Um, because Jinx has never been integral to any Pokemon lore, story. Jinx, is, Jinx has always been a novelty Pokemon. Yeah. There's nothing lost by eliminating Jinx. And yeah. I don't think anybody would notice. If you were to wake up tomorrow morning, Mr. Darling, mm. and you were to look up, say... So if I get yesterday into a world without Jinx... Yeah, if you were to look up, if you were to look up tomorrow, if you were to look up your Pokemon Go tomorrow, and Magmar was number eighty-one as opposed to eighty-two, because Magmar just slid one number back. I mean, he's a bit farther up there, but yeah, whatever. If Magmar would slide one number back in the Pokedex, would you really notice? I mean, well, like, would I still know about Jinx? I'm confused by the premise here, because I'm just saying, like, yeah, you stuff. know about Jinx, but I mean, like, the thing about it is, is how long do you really think it would take in playing any Pokemon game? Let's oh, just say okay. let's just say no. they never announced it. Let's just say they so never they, said anything. So if, like I said, with the fact that the new games don't have the national decks, they quietly retired Jinx. Yeah. If they and not only quietly, like they took Jinx out of the Pokedex and just moved every Pokemon after Jinx up one. Like even with that change. How long do you think it would take for you to notice it? Like really think through it. Uh, well, playing think, Pokemon Go, well, opening Pokemon Go. I think people would notice pretty immediately, not necessarily that Jinx was missing, but that something happened because, like, everyone knows Mewtwo and Mew would be 150, 151. But I like, still, but here's the thing is that I think there's still, like, a weird, perfect symmetry if Mewtwo shows up as 149 and Mew is 150 to still satisfy people. But I think people, but, like, again, Mewtwo and Mew are only available through such special events. 
that I don't think people would notice immediately. I honestly think it would take a couple days. Well, I mean, Mewtwo's the end boss for the original games. Like, But again, I'm saying, yeah. let's say we wake up tomorrow, August 20th, 2019, and Jinx has suddenly been deleted mm. from Pokemon Go and every Pokemon game. Like through Wi-Fi patch update or whatever. And every Pokemon slides one number to the left. How long do you think it takes people to notice? I honestly think it takes at least 24 hours, which mm. in this day and age is saying something. Yeah, eh, maybe, maybe. Uh, so my question about removing Jinx is, would you also remove Smoochum, the baby form, or would you keep that around just as this weird little baby Pokemon that's out there? Nah, you might as well take the baby form out too. So yeah, so I, t- I think take them both out. Yeah. Um, because I think Smooch, because I honestly, and that's the, you know what? We'll talk about this again when we get to Smoochum, but yeah. I think Smoochum was kind of the uh, attempt to normalize Jinx, which is misguided. But we can discuss that further at Smoochum. Mm. But either way, I, for right now, for where we are, for what we're talking about with Jinx as far as a Gen 1 Pokemon, not a fan. Don't want it. Yeah. Get rid of it. Um, I just think it was mishandled in-game, out-game, post-game, everything. Yep. So we have talked about the Pokemon in their world. We've talked about the Pokemon and their impact in media in our world let's talk about how we would bring pokemon into our world welcome to mon's world a celebration of the harmony between humans and pokemon mr darwin uh so as we mentioned electabuzz's try to compete for catching lightning and sometimes use them as lightning rods so that would clearly be a thing here uh magmars can control their flames so i think they'd be great for cooking meaning using them to cook things. I say that now, but I've got another thing to add momentarily. Uh, and, you know, since we've established that Jinxes work for Santa Claus, you would definitely see a Jinx at all of the little Santa stops at the malls. I like oh, it. Oh, and Scyther, this is canonical from a trading card because it's a great uh, illustration of Scyther cutting down wheat. It'd be used in farms to cut wheat and such. Huh. Yeah, I think in, uh, unfortunately, in deforestation and things like that, I'd probably be able to chop down trees in the Amazon and Ugh. improve the speed of that far faster than we already are. Uh, by the way, this is, again, a repeated recommendation to adopt a vegetarian lifestyle because if you want to have the best positive impact on the environment, you would defund Google immediately. Well, that, and uh, as an individual, you can adopt at least reducing meat consumption by taking one meatless day a week. Hmm. That being said, my Mon's world would be to say that Mr. Mime would be at carnivals and probably helping preschool kids stay in line. I think the, uh, because little kids are either super terrified of clowns or too (laughs) dumb to know they should be terrified of clowns. I want to clarify that I am of the mindset that clowns have always been creepy. I was terrified of them even as a kid. Um, My parents used to take me to the Barnum and Bailey Circus in New York. Um, every year, and I did not like the clowns. I loved the animals. I've grown up since then and realized that that's terrible, that animals would be confined like that, but... I... Yeah, my parents didn't take me to the circus because of the abuse. Yeah, my parents... Today. Yeah, we're... Yeah, this'll be... This'll be... We'll bounce back from this one. But I think this is all stuff that we believe, and uh, so it goes. Mm. But um, I refuse to acknowledge Jinx. (laughs) But the other ones, I just, uh, aside from the deforestation thing, it's just, uh, yeah, everything else just belongs in the wild. I Um, feel like the scythes aren't strong enough to cut down trees, but they are great for wheat and crops in the field and all that. 
Yeah. We're this is a tough episode in terms of keeping it on a lighter note. So And next week's magic carp though, so at least that's gonna be fun. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun episode. We we're gonna bounce back from this. But that being said, let's close it off with my favorite section. Mon appetit. If you'd like my personal crack my All right, Mr. Darling, what are you eating this week? Oh, I was going to defer to you on this one first. Well, so this one, I ran into this. I barreled headfirst into this in the Machop episode way back when because why can't we close off with one more callback? Good luck. Um, I, uh, but it is unsettling this week that most of our Pokemon are at least like semi-humanoid. <laughs> um, and even the one that isn't like totally humanoid is a bug. And it's a very mantisy bug that does not look at all edible oh, at five feet tall eyes, though. Ooh, i'm not trying to crack i mean i wonder if scyther might be look cooked. at that thorax see the question is is like would a bug like scyther cook like a lobster in which case i'd have like what like a foot and a half long lobster claw essentially to crack <laughs> open that could be good but i don't know how i don't know the risk of like how that musculature cooks underneath that thigh so, I'm just uh, imagining the pot you'd have to use to cook that scyther. Yeah. Imagine that scyther scream as you boil it, too. Scyther! <laughs> so, instead, I'm going to just straight up say I really think Electabuzz, like, probably has, like, really good marbling on its meat because of, like, that beer belly paunch fat that it's got <laughs> going on. And, I mean, that's, like... Honestly, for those of you that don't know what all the hype is about Kobe beef, it is because Kobe beef is like specifically raised to have a very like particular fat content against their level of activity so that they aren't like super lean. They have just a perfect marbling on their meat. And I think Electabuzz would probably achieve that just because of that like little paunchy boy. He's probably not moving around too much. Hmm. So that's mine. Um, Electabuzz steak. I like where your head's at. Uh, so in Pokemon Sun, I had a Magmar that I nicknamed Duck Lorange, which should tell you where my head is. Uh, look at the belly on that thing. For just listeners imagine- that couldn't just see my reaction, I know normally the blue reaction du jour is the head on the table. That got the reverse of it in excitement. I threw my head back in sheer ecstasy. <laughs> so yeah, so I think, you know, let's roast some Magmar, maybe do like duck lorange or thai honey roasted duck is also delicious so one of those two that sounds fantastic all right well mr darling it's been a little while since it was just you and me on this uh little podcast but and we still we got still it. went long and we still got it um god can you imagine if we had a third person here it'd be a three-hour episode oh gosh yeah Let's not do that. I mean, considering that the Alex Creswick episode we last had her on was the episode we had nothing to say. And we still ended up finding 20-minute diversions about the Armageddon director's commentary. But I'm glad to have you here for this. Uh, we'll be back in... I hope so. This is what I do. Yeah. We'll be back in less than two weeks with our regularly scheduled episode. Again, apologies for the delay this week. Magic carp. But yes, this is an episode we've been looking forward to since starting the podcast, folks. We'll be back with Magikarp and others next week. Um, but in the meantime, I am Yonato Blue. I've been Michael Darling. Thanks for being here. Brush up your Shakespeare. Start quoting him now. Brush up your Shakespeare. And no women 
you will wow. Just declaim a few lines from Otella, and they'll think you're a hell of a fella. If your blonde won't respond when you flatter her, tell her what Tony told Cleo Patterer. If she fights when her clothes you are mussing, what are clothes much ado about nothing? Brush up your Shakespeare, and they'll all 